Hello, and welcome to the Health in Europe podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bianchi. We've launched this podcast to bring you the latest on WHO's work in the European region. Our region is broad and diverse, from the mid-Atlantic and stretching as far as the Chinese border, we work with fascinating and driven individuals and groups. This podcast is about hearing their stories and how they might impact your day-to-day life. Many people see population ageing as a bad thing for economies, saying that the older people get, the more they use health services, and with fewer working age people to support them, economies start to suffer. But is this really the case? A new webinar series from the European Observatory on Health Systems and Policies seeks to challenge this narrative, explaining how to support ageing populations while pointing out how much older people in society have to offer. If you haven't heard of them before, the European Observatory is a partnership hosted by WHO that specialises in the development of health systems in Europe, pooling and sharing knowledge across borders. I'm joined by Deborah Miranda, Communications Officer at the European Observatory in Brussels. Hi Deborah, how are you? Hi Greg, thanks for having me on behalf of the Observatory. I'm good, thanks. And you? Great, I'm good, thank you. So um, we'll just kick off firstly explaining a little bit about this series. So what is the Economics of Ageing series and why is the European Observatory on Health Systems and Policies hosting these now? Right, so um, in short, and as you just just said, and for those who may not be aware, the Observatory works to make sense of the evidence, as we like to call it, um, evidence surrounding health systems and policies in the WHO European region. So basically, we want to support policymakers in making decisions that are informed by the best available evidence. Aging is just one of several topics that our team works on. And in this context, it falls under our work on health and economy. We now have a, a pretty rich portfolio of publications on aging, of which I would highlight, for example, a study called Aging and Health, the Politics of Better Policies, uh, which is a book we launched last September. It's available on our website. And also an upcoming, so very fresh new policy brief that's being released in the next few days on the costs of health and social care at the end of life. Um, This work and actually this whole series is being led by John Silas, who is an economist and runs the observatory's London hub, which is one of our two research hubs together with Berlin. And um, the Economics of Aging series is, in fact, a slightly new format in the webinars that the observatory has been running during this pandemic. With um, all this material that we have on aging, this time, instead of one webinar, we are hosting three across three weeks um, on this topic. As I said, we really want to promote evidence-based policymaking. So in this series, we investigate key policy questions associated with population aging. And we do this by bringing together evidence from research and country experiences, which is actually a model that we use in all our webinars. And this, of course, may be of interest not only to policymakers, but also researchers and members of civil society. Um, We also review what's known about the health and long-term care costs of older people and many of the benefits of healthy aging, both for the economy and for society. And finally, we also look at policy options that contribute to the sustainability of care systems in this context of changes in population, demographical changes. Um, We look at policy options that reduce costs that could be avoided in care. 
and very importantly, policy options that support older people because it's important that they can continue to contribute meaningfully to society. That's great. So, and I know the first webinar took place this week and, and focused on funding healthcare for an aging population. What are some of the options that are being considered? Um, you're right. So our webinars cover the, the revenue to pay for care, which is the first webinar that you just mentioned, the expenditure on health and social care and the politics of pop population aging. The first one, as you said, that just took place this week, addressed um, a common worry that policymakers have about where we find the money to care for an aging population. Because an aging population may mean that the active workforce we have is smaller or less productive, and this could ultimately reduce revenues coming through tax. This is a common interpretation of the situation. One option we normally hear about is delaying the age in which people can retire, as this would understandably save money being spent on our pensions while also keeping people in the formal labor markets for longer. Um, so the first webinar looks at the, these policy options that are available and the impact that they have, for example, if we do increase the retirement age, whether those options will make health financing more sustainable, how much the revenues for health will effectively decline as people get older, populations get older, and how we can actually support older people to remain in the workforce. And this ties in with some myths surrounding the economics of aging that this series tries to address, um, particularly that the idea that population aging means our economies will get worse. As we will see, it's not the size of your labor, labor force that, uh, that matters, but rather the health of that labor force. And um, so moving on from that, but, but also linked in it in a way, is, is how costs of caring for an aging population can be controlled. Um, what are some of the patterns that we're seeing here? Yes, um, so from revenue, we move on to expenditure. So basically, once we have the funds, how do we use them? When we talk about population aging, we often hear that health spending is unsustainable. However, and this is where it gets interesting, research has shown that population aging is not a major driver of growth in health expenditure. That being said, the way aging societies affect how much we spend on health depends on multiple factors. For example, policy choices about how health services are delivered and the prices that are paid for services, medicines and technologies. Again, how population aging affects health financing is a policy, a policy choice rather than uh, a so-called inevitable consequence of aging societies. And the second webinar will address the implications of these findings so, uh, so that we can better understand how we can contain the health and long-term care costs associated with population aging. And um, one, of the the, one of the publications being presented here is the policy brief I mentioned earlier. This is led by John Silas from the European Observatory and also um, by authors from, the Trinity, from Trinity College Dublin in Ireland, including Professor Charles Normand. And this policy brief will unveil how we can, uh, what we can do differently to improve outcomes and actually reduce costs in end-of-life care. That's really interesting, particularly what you say about the, the policy aspect. And um, I mean, I know this series uh, addresses the economics of ageing and ends, ends of a webinar on the, the politics of, of ageing. What is the role of politics and what does it say about a potential conflict between generations, as, as the title of the webinar suggests? 
So this is a, a thought-provoking one and largely draws on the recent study I mentioned called Aging and Health, the Politics of Better Policies. If you think about it, aging populations are often presented as a challenge that we can only address if we dismantle the welfare state. But this undermines precisely the institution that was set to enable longevity in the first place, right? So these views of population aging are quite divisive and alarmist and often based on stereotypes and anecdotes that don't really have evidence to back them up. What we try to unveil here is that perhaps the problem is political and exposes the challenge of creating fair, sustainable and effective policies for people of all ages. In short, the, the problem is not that we have more and more older people, but that we live in very unequal societies. And that's why this webinar questions whether politics of aging is creating conflict between generations. Societies can choose policies that benefit people of all ages, promoting equity both within and between those generations. Now, to know how we can achieve these policies, we'll have to hear the speakers. Um, in this case, from the Universities of Michigan and Pennsylvania in the US and the University of Oxford and the Health Foundation in the UK. So I hope those who are listening can join the debates. Thanks, Deborah. And um, so just just finally, so, so people are aware, uh, as we know, one webinar has already taken place, but how can people learn more and, and join the next two? Yes, we invite everyone to join the next webinar, which is called can the costs of caring for an aging population be controlled? It takes place on Tuesday, the 25th of January at 12 noon, that's Central European time. And the third and last webinar called Is the Politics of Aging Creating Conflict Between Generations? will be on the 1st of February, also a Tuesday, but this time at 4 p.m. Central European time, so our speakers based in the US don't have to wake up in the middle of the night. And of course, because we believe our webinars can be useful to, to regions outside Europe as well. Um, don't worry if you missed the first one, you will have missed on a, a pretty dynamic interaction with our speakers, but the recording will be available on our website, which is um, healthobservatory.eu. But I hope the listeners can join the next two live sessions. We have some, some great speakers lined up for you. Absolutely, it sounds the case. Well, thank you so much, Deborah, and uh, we look forward to the next series. Thanks, Greg. Last week, you may remember that we had a piece on staying healthy in the metaverse. In this episode, we ask, what might big data hold for the future of healthcare and the diagnosis of non-communicable diseases like cancer, diabetes, or cardiovascular disease? Are we looking towards a future where data can help improve early diagnoses and improve healthcare in general? WHO's European Office for the Prevention and Control of NCDs, along with the Ministry of Health of the Russian Federation, hosted the conference on tackling non-communicable diseases with digital solutions. Alexandra Olson and Igor Khrushchev two communications officers from WHO explore big data and a new NCDs dashboard which provides data on risk factors and cost-effective interventions. Over to Alexandra and Igor. Hi there. You're listening to the podcast from the WHO NCD office in Moscow. And this time, we're going to talk about what big data is 
and why it can completely change global healthcare. Our hosts in the studio are Alexandra Olsen and Igor Krushkov. Big data is a rather fashionable topic among those who are interested in modern technologies. Usually, this term refers to a huge amount of digital data, sometimes without a clear structure, which can be analyzed with the help of modern computer algorithms, leading to some useful conclusions. For example, analyzing data on the movement of cars in the city can help road services better organize traffic and reduce the number of traffic jams. In the context of healthcare, data provides many opportunities. The most obvious example is that collecting detailed information about patients will help doctors quickly make the correct diagnosis and prescribe effective treatment. Experts have high hopes for surveillance databases that will help determine the risks of developing non-communicable diseases, or NCDs. Since NCDs are closely linked to diets, physical activity, as well as alcohol consumption and tobacco use, information on these lifestyle indicators could help save tens of thousands of lives each year. Imagine that you receive a message from a reliable source which lists individual risks to your health based on specific databases with specific recommendations. When should you, for instance, make a GP or medical specialist appointment? I would definitely pay attention to those recommendations. Professor Ron Balitzer at the WHO Collaborating Center on Non-Communicable Disease Research, Prevention and Control in Israel explains how predictive preventive care works. We actually are able today to provide population health, to look at the entire population, look at the digital data on this population, identify patients at risk of future deterioration, future deterioration of cardiovascular disease. Someone who might, in a very high likelihood, have a myocardial infarction in the coming year. Somebody who is in very high likelihood to have uh, chronic renal failure and renal insufficiency within the next five years. Sometimes even deteriorations that are close by, a COPD exacerbation that will happen in the next three days because there's some hints that tell us that the patient is about to deteriorate. The new innovative tools allow us to collect the data, analyze the data, and predict an incoming event. And then, by proactively approaching those patients, we are able to provide them with preventive, uh, simple, non-painful, and not costly interventions early that would prevent costly, painful, debilitating interventions too late in the disease pathology course. This would allow medical professionals to spend less time on treatment and more time on disease prevention. In other words, more people would be able to notice and prevent the disease before there is a need for hospitalization, which is great. At the same time, health workers will have more time to pay attention to each of their patients, better understand their condition and prescribe more effective treatment. The WHO European Office for the Prevention and Control of Non-Communicable Diseases has developed a special tool based on quality data that countries can use to get a quick overview of the situation with NCDs and NCD policies in their country and in other countries. Ivo Rakovac, Regional Advisor for NCD Surveillance at the WHO Regional Office for Europe, explains how digital data helps not only doctors, but also governments. The NCD dashboard contains data on premature mortality, biological and behavioral risk factors for NCDs, 
but it contains also the data about implementation of WHO best buys. So it gives you a very nice cascade of disease burden, levels of risk factors, and policy options that are currently implemented. So the policymakers can quickly understand what are the most burning issues and where are the biggest opportunities to, for intervention. When we speak about the interventions to prevent uh, and control non-communicable diseases, we know pretty well what are the most cost-effective interventions. Those are the so-called WHO best buys. And for every dollar invested in prevention of NCDs, we get $7 of return of investment in the macroeconomy. Therefore, it is very important that we know which interventions are currently implemented at population level and that we prioritize those interventions. So, if we learn how to use databases effectively and begin to use health information carefully and efficiently, it has the potential to improve health systems considerably and empower people living with NCDs to manage their conditions. This is one of the main topics of the Digital for NCD conference in Moscow on the 14th and 15th of December by the WHO European Office for the Prevention and Control of Non-Communicable Diseases in cooperation with the Ministry of Health of the Russian Federation. This was the second episode of the podcast based on the discussions at the conference in Moscow. You'll find other episodes in the WHO playlists and on all the major streaming platforms. Stay tuned! That's all we have time for. Thanks to all our guests. If you want to find out more about any of the topics in this episode, you can do so on the WHO Europe website. That's euro.who.int and on the European Observatory site, eurohealthobservatory.who.int. Or check out the links in the show notes. The music during the second segment on big data is courtesy of Riot Games. Leave us a rating, and if you like what you've heard, make sure to recommend us to a friend or a colleague. Thanks for listening, and until next time, stay safe and stay healthy.